This is a podcast for the awakened woman, for all the femme-identifying folk devoted to their growth, their magic, and their magnificence. I'm your host, Angel, and I am devoted to bringing you the conversations that speak to and awaken the wild, wise, woke one within you, to awaken the fun, free force of nature that you were born to be. Let's go deep. What's up, Awakened Humans? Today's guest is Alexandra Roxo. Roxo is a writer, an artist, and co-founder of the online community and ritual program Radical Awakenings. She's been featured in Girlboss, Teen Vogue, Mind Body Green, The New York Times, The Guardian, and Playboy for her raw and sensual approach to healing, wellness, and storytelling. Her film and TV work with Vice and her iconic web show, Be Here Nowish, have been viewed by millions. Alexandra is the author of Fuck Like a Goddess, Heal Yourself, Reclaim Your Voice, Stand in Your Power, which is an Amazon bestseller in three categories, and it's out now. I've read it. It's amazing. And I'm just honored and excited to have this glorious human here with us today. What is up, beautiful? Mm, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and that glorious intro. It's so nice to hear other people read your bio. There's something like very like generous about it, you know, like you don't really, it's like you, hearing beautiful, powerful, magical women, especially read about what you spent your life doing. It's very, there's something, you know, profound about it. Oh, yes. I couldn't agree more. I love reading the intros. It's such a fun, delicious way to get started. I love that word you use, generous. It just feels, it's like you get to celebrate someone and nothing, what what feels better uh, than celebrating someone? It's It's such a beautiful gift to be able to celebrate other women and just hold each other up. And I don't think like how often do we sit down and remind ourselves of all the things that we've achieved or at least some of the things that we've achieved and getting to hear someone be like, you're a badass. You've done all these incredible things and created all these amazing things. I feel like that would be a great thing on a down day to just have a recording of someone you love or someone you admire Mm. reading your bio. (laughs) just being like oh yeah I'm a badass (laughs) I know totally totally like those I mean I used to try to save screenshots of like nice things people would send me about my work and I like even started a google doc called like you know praise to read when you're having a low time but you know I didn't I wasn't consistent enough with it and I guess that says something about like my self-love or self-care I'm like that would be such a good thing to have but I mean, when you're having a rough time, do you, how like, oh, let me open my Google Doc. It's like, you're kind of like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> want to like cry and moan and groan on the floor and be sad for a moment. So maybe it would be like the day after you have the bad day that you are like, oh, maybe I'll take a look at that Google Doc. But, you know, I don't know. What an amazing idea. And yes, I totally feel you. I sometimes wonder like the creature inside me or that energy that just needs to be digested wants to claim more of itself. It's like when you're in a dark place or, you know, not having a great day, you're just like exactly as you say, you just kind of need to be in it and and cry it out. But then when you're ready to stand up, that Google Doc would really be a helping hand (laughs) off the bathroom floor. (laughs) It's like you're laying on the bathroom floor. Someone give me my Google Doc. 
<laughs> and it's different, I think, you know, hearing people's words of praise or adoration over the internet versus someone like in person. There's something different. I think nowadays for so many of us who give a lot of energy online, me being like I started creating work pre-Instagram, Facebook, and, you know, inter- the internet was out there, but, but but people I knew, artists, like filmmakers, photographers were still primarily uh, operating offline. And wow, the vulnerability of showing, you know, like photographs in a gallery in New York City, like for like this biennial and me standing in the room or, you know, my first film, like people looking at me and looking at the work and looking at me. I mean, that level of vulnerability is was so intense. And then also like the praise when someone is moved to tears and you're watching someone be moved to tears by your work and you're in the same room with them. It, you know, there's something so profound about that. And so I love the Google Doc and there is something about experiencing another being in their emotional response and their nervous system, like full kind of transmission to you that I think everybody who's a creator uh, yearns for, you know, for that direct connection. And the internet can provide us with so much connection. And yet it's often difficult to feel the depths of people's hearts unless they send you a video, let's say, that's like, Angel, your work is like, touch me so deeply. And then perhaps you would feel that. But imagine that's happening in a room with a hundred other people that want to tell you the same thing. Like that kind of profound experience will change your life. And Mm. I hope that for young people and for us that we are able to not move towards a more tech AI virtual space, but as that continues, because that will continue whether we like it or not, that we also continue to create spaces where bodies are in rooms together experiencing reality because when we die, we ain't going to have the body anymore. So. Mm-hmm. yeah then we can do all the virtual reality we want yeah I cannot I'm so excited for in-person workshops and retreats and as you say bodies in rooms when that's available again I'm just really excited how do you how else do you think this digital space has really changed I mean I'm sure it's a it's a vast question but how has it impacted you and your work the most that transition to online well up until last year, until COVID, I was still seeing a lot of clients in person and doing events and and a lot of retreats. So when I kind of made my transi- transition from working in filmmaking to also being a writer and a healer and a coach and expanding into that wellness spirituality space, my work has been a lot in person. So I like I love like t- teaching. I taught a retreat at Karpali where there were 60 women in the room and it was so profound. And so, you know, it's basically just been COVID that has cramped, you know, all our styles in many ways, but specifically like not seeing clients in person breaks my heart. Not, not, you know, leading those retreats, though I am leading a retreat next month for a small group of women, which is awesome. It's going to be a lot outside, but also it's like, it's just going to be what it is. Yeah. So, so mainly I would say that it's COVID because I made a really like distinct choice that like, even though I have a partial online business, I do not want to have a whole online business. So I want to still be in rooms with people because 
you know, the tenderness and the vulnerability and the depth that you feel in a room, it's just like, imagine some of the things that we can so easily write on a text or in a DM or whatever, because we don't have that person's nervous system response right close to us. Mm. And I always try to imagine like, what would it be like if I was in the room with this person? Would I say this to them? Like, hurt, 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 love, 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 you know, would I? Or would I go like, oh, wow, that was beautiful, you know? And so it's like, it's funny how the avatar us even has a different language, right? Mm. The avatar of us online may look a little different, might speak a little different, might interact a little differently. And that's not bad. I mean, hey, you could have four of you. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the, I would say it's like the virtual ego. You know, you have, you already have your regular ego that you're rocking, but then it's, you get into this space Instagram, social media space. And it's, I mean, at its best, it's a gallery of moments and memories. It's a curation of what's inspiring and important to Mm -hmm. an individual, Mm -hmm. but at its worst, because of that curation, right? The ability Mm -hmm. to, let's say in a shadow aspect, control, Mm -hmm. contort, contrive, uh, it becomes this this other ego that we get to uh, watch, grow from, be conscious of, be awake to—it's such an—it's such a trip, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I really love being in rooms with people and like feeling their hearts and their tears and their laughter. And I definitely don't want to give up on that in general as a creative. Mm, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone listening is probably really feeling deeply into that after the years or oh, the years, uh, the last couple of moving into two years that we've had. It's like, yeah, just keeping that candle lit and holding that vision. I wanted to talk about your epic, epic book that's brand new and uh, and out for those listening who want to dive in. Uh, in the introduction, you describe a deep awakening to service that you had during an ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, and kind of your deep relationship with this medicine as a great teacher. I wonder if you could share a little bit. I've actually never talked about medicine uh, on the podcast, and it would be, I think you'd be such a wonderful steward Mm -hmm. of some of your own experience and the relationship. I'd love to just hear a little bit about your relationship with the medicine and how that's been for you. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. Um, Well, so In the context, first, I'll just give a little context of healing. So my own healing and spiritual journey started when I was like around 13 and met my first spiritual teacher. And, um, and when I was 18, I discovered yoga and meditation. And that's when I began that practice. Um, and which was just such a gift to be 18. Most 18 year olds were not going, Oh, you know, like I was in college, it was kind of ridiculous, but, um, but also really profound. And, you know, but when I was 28, I was invited to my first ayahuasca ceremony. So I had already been in a practice of meditation therapy. I started therapy when I was 22 in in living in Portland, which I talk about in my book, because I couldn't orgasm with any partner. And so I had been on like a path for a while. And I just think it's important to note that because I had been preparing myself kind of like doing different stages of personal healing and awakening for quite a while for like, you know, over a decade before I felt called to sit with a plant medicine in, in a ceremonial space. Now, that's just my journey. There's no right or wrong way. You might 
have never heard of meditation and ayahuasca or a ceremony might call you in and it's like a fuck yes for you. And so, you know, everyone's, everyone's path is so different. And, um, and I can't stress that enough that there's really no one way ever. Um, but mine, mine was like, okay, you're going to, you know, get into a lot of self-awareness, healing, self-discovery, and then this thing is going to present itself to you. Um, so I was already coming in with like, you know, a nice foundation and plant medicine ayahuasca and then peyote which was like very generously kind of extended its arms to me through uh, the indigenous peoples who different different tribes and um the peyote came from a specific area and then the ayahuasca as well but i I felt really like very grateful and that both of those medicines found me and it was really through the generosity of the people who were like that was their lineage now i didn't just sit in those spaces with people that were like trained in this beautiful deep uh like way that involved reciprocity and right relation there were a few times i sat with some more neo shamanistic like you know people who really hadn't necessarily like done the years and years of work to get to know the medicines and to work with the peoples who that's their culture. And that was completely different experience. And I definitely, you know, I've written about this a bit and so have many other great writers. Um, There's a book called wind plants dream that I highly recommend by Daniel Pinchbeck and Sophia Roquelin. I think that's how you say her name, but, and which talks about kind of like, they, they call it like basement shamanism in a, in a way of like people that, you know, haven't really had the depth of training and maybe have gotten like a weekend certificate in shamanism or something and then are serving people medicine. So it's a very complex space to enter into. And I feel grateful. I had, I had positive and negative experiences. So it's not like I just got like the golden ticket in a certain way. I, you know, sat in a few places where I felt I'm not safe in this room and I'm so blasted open by this medicine, but I'm feeling so much of the space in a certain way. And you could look at that in 20 different ways. Oh, you're supposed to, that was your, that was your journey that night, or that was good for you. Or you could, you know, say like, well, maybe that space wasn't held really well. Or Mm. So it's, you know, it's kind of one of those magical things that you enter into with, you know, anything that holds great power and it, it's like, it has the the shadow and the light and, and there's a lot of energy around it. So it's like, you know, I think that I have a kind of a brave soul and I'm like, okay, going in. And of course I got burned some and I had amazing experiences and, yeah. you know, I feel like I sat for like seven years off and on and and not all the time. I'm more of like a spreader outer medicine. I don't like to do, it's kind of like do some and then sit on it for a year. Um, Mm -hmm. During those seven years, I wasn't doing it like all the time, but I feel like I really did a lot of work around my parents and the collective trauma in my family and what I had gone through as a kid and what my parents had gone through. And I kind of felt like, is this ever going to end like this kind of um, mourning and grieving and purging. And, but there's also a lot of light coming through and a lot of reminder of like the God within. And so that was just, uh, that, that worked for me at certain moments. And, you know, Mm. it's hard to quantify what happened in that space. It's like, 
you know, it's, you, it's almost like you don't know how it's necessarily impacting your life afterwards. Mm. What happens in that short period of time, maybe like sort of, um, sort of like expands outward through your life over time in a way that if you aren't really paying attention, you may not notice. Yeah. I hope that doesn't sound too abstract. People are like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> no, no. I think it's it's beautiful. And I, I, what I was hearing you say earlier that I think is so powerful in that integration process that you experienced and that I also experienced coming to sit with medicine uh, later after being in an established practice for, for, you know, over a decade as well is having the mental frameworks, healthy mental frameworks to hang the experience on, even though it's kind of even beyond, of course, those frameworks. But as you come back to reality, the body, the mind, and you you return, you have uh, something to hang these experiences on or a framework to work with them. And I think that's really, at least for myself, was also really helpful and important. For people who have never heard of ayahuasca, never spoken to anyone who's done ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Could you just paint, I know it's very difficult to excri- describe really any psychedelic experience itself, but maybe just painting a picture of what happens or yeah. at least how did that go for you? Yeah. Well, you know, just some basics and I'm so not a scholar in this department, so please forgive me. But so ayahuasca is a brew made from two different components, ayahuasca one wine vine and the chacruna leaf and um it's an amazonian brew in different different countries brazil colombia peru and different tribes have used this brew for potentially thousands of years we don't really i don't think know on the exact number of, of years but and it's it's been a religious and a spiritual practice and a healing and like a going to the doctor now from what i understand the people didn't used to drink the brew with the, the medicine person. The medicine person would drink the brew for the person who came and was ill. Mm. And that it wasn't until recently, and this could vary tribe to tribe, I'm sure, but it wasn't until recently that they started giving out the brew to um, to everyone. There's some great documentaries out there about about this plant medicine, if you're more curious about it. And now it is, I think it's primarily illegal in the United States, but there are some ways that it is legal through um, religion. And so there are some places in the United States it's, it's done legally. Oh, you know what? You could watch the ayahuasca episode of the show on Netflix called Unwell. Did you see this? Uh, no, I did haven't. See, did you see the Tantra episode? No, I haven't. Oh my God, I? You got to watch both of those. I don't okay. want other episodes, but the Tantra episode and the ayahuasca episode are both really good. So that show um, shows like, I mean, they actually show a ceremony. It's kind of, it's kind of disturbing um, in a way because it's who wants to see people sort of like puking. Um, ayahuasca can be a purgative. Um, so there can be some puking and in the same way of like when you're, you know, cleansing or detoxing that you may release things from your body um mm. nobody wants to see other people puke i don't think so but the show shows the science behind the dmt that it comes out in ayahuasca's brew and that how that impacts the brain um and it kind of shows the shadow and the light around it too that show which is cool um because there's definitely been a lot of shadow 
people that have t- taken advantage of the power, women that have been abused, just like y- any yogic community, Tibetan community, like every you know community where power is it, like an implicit, like there's a power structure, usually means that's, that there are people that are going to be or that have been abused or taken advantage of. So I don't think any any real place is immune to that, unfortunately, the way the earth is right now. Mm. But it shows that in the show. And it also shows the impact that Westerners have had on these different cultures. It's, it's a bit heartbreaking, to be honest, but also beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there's some intense scenes where indigenous peoples are like, you all have ruined our country with your ayahuasca tourism. It's like, whoa, ouch. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You You know, but I think that, that there's a capacity, there are some really beautiful places, centers that you can go to and you can go do a week and it is incredibly healing, you know, or Mm -hmm. can be, not is, it can be depending on what you need. But yeah, it's a circle of people and there's usually a person, not everyone calls them a shaman. The people that I've sat with do not want to be called a shaman. They're healers. That's what they call themselves. Shaman is actually not a South American term. It's a term, I believe it comes from like a Mongolian term. Um, so it's it's kind of like a wrongful appropriation to put that on the, the Amazonian peoples from what I've understood. But you could say a medicine, the medicine person or the healer gives medicine to the people in the room and then holds a space with song and music and extractions of energies or entities or things that are kind of negativities from your, your field. And it can feel... Like to me, it felt like um, a soul surgery, yeah, across dimensions. And when mm-hmm. I when I sat with the Shapibo healers, I'd never experienced that type of ceremony. And I had sat for like six years already, but the level of intensity of the Shapibo ceremony and having to like people who they've trained lifetimes in their lineage—that's just like what they lived and breathed as children that intensity of that ceremony, those type of ceremonies was something that I had never experienced. I was like, I'm good for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I heard you say earlier, you know, that you kind of space out the, the medicine journeys and uh, I feel very similarly as well. And Jamie Wheel, uh, a friend uh, that I really respect, talks about the difference between an addict and an alchemist is mm. like, are you bringing the gold back Mm. and are you shipping it? Mm. Which is like, you know, we can have these psychedelic journeys or medicine journeys or even really just deep spiritual journeys, whether it's fasting or solitude or anything. I think that they're all incredibly powerful processes. I have seen people getting kind of addicted to detoxes or juice fasting or whatever it is. It's like there's, there's a scope for us to, to keep diving into these processes. But Mm. I think the real question is, yeah, are we bringing back the gold from those experiences and taking the time? Cause as you were saying, it's so vast and can be so intense and so ineffable Mm -hmm. takes time to really digest and be able to bring that back and integrate it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I would also share that for anyone considering uh, the psycho. That's such a beautiful distinction. 
Yeah. So, so beautiful. What would you say kind of last thing on, on medicine? Cause there's so many uh, other juicy topics I want to get into with you as well. They're all juicy. Uh, but what would you say is the biggest uh, distinction or difference for you and how you experienced peyote and ayahuasca? Peyote felt like a hug from a grandfather. No, ayahuasca felt like a beating from a grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so Honestly, much. Honestly, like calls me a lot more deeply because I don't know if it's being a feminine being, being a Pisces, someone who already has a lot of emotional depth and like I just, the peyote is like warmth. I felt it. I mean, I had one ceremony that was actually more difficult, but nothing, nothing in in terms of like, in in comparison to what I went through in ayahuasca ceremonies. Like I was, it was one where I, I, I was amongst elders and it was a different type of container that I'd ever been in all in, in native elders, men. And, um, I had to just sit straight without moving and I was experiencing a lot of pain in my body, um, but it was nothing that in comparison to the ayahuasca discomfort in my body. And different people experience different medicines differently. I experience a lot in my body. Mm. So I'm like, I have a very physical experience of ayahuasca. Mm. And I've had like, I've had a few ceremonies that are more sort of like far out land. But mm-hmm. usually it's bringing me deeper in. Yes. And different people need different things. For me, it's like bringing me deeper into the experience of being in my body, shaking, sweating, moaning. I mean, just wow. Um, but peyote, <laughs> peyote's eyes open. So if you're a control freak, sometimes like me, eyes open is really nice. I mean, I love eyes close too. But when you're in a circle of new people and a new experience, it's kind of nice to be like, okay, there's a fire. Um, and again, I, I was sitting with a particular tradition um, and, but there's a fire and someone tending the fire. And in some of the ceremonies I sat in, I was able to sing and that really mm-hmm. made a world of difference for me to be able to express. And one of the ceremonies, like the water drum is coming around and I had to sing in front of the group several times on my own, you know, and at that time I was very nervous about singing kind of, and I had to riff. You don't, you're not allowed to sing like a song that, (laughs) you know, you have to sing from your heart. Mm. So I loved that level of engagement in that particular type of peyote ceremony. And it felt very connected. We felt all connected and there was energy moving and the singing and the drumming and the fire. I had some beautiful, beautiful ones and just a ton of heart opening for me very Mm. much feeling it in my heart which I Mm. love yeah Patrick and I had some experiences uh we were in Mexico recently for three months and we did a couple of temes cows and I got to participate in the singing and the music and the shakers and I and I really found that that helped so profoundly to be the Temescal is a mm-hmm. uh, Mexican sweat lodge for our listeners who are wondering what that is and it's very hot and you're in there we were in there for up to four and a half hours at oh, times yeah. and it's it is almost psychedelic at times mm-hmm. because you're just the intensity of the experience creates an altered altered state of consciousness and as you're saying the singing and the connection and I have to also say when you were talking about the eyes shut and open in my first ayahuasca ceremony my hallucinations were so intense that for the first hour I thought my eyes were closed and then I realized that they had been open for the whole time wow <laughs> it was 
wild. That was about the time when I realized I was in ancient Egypt and I thought, oh, wow, it must be a past life. Am I going to be, um, maybe I'll be a queen or, or Pharaoh or something interesting. And I looked down and I realized that I had been cast as the sand in the school play. It's like getting cast as the rock. I was like, oh, it was actually really amazing and beautiful, but I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, I'm, I'm the sand, you know, here in LA, everyone's like, oh, in my past life, I was Isis or a queen or whatever. And I was like, I was the sand. (laughs) That's so good. That's so good. Please keep that close. (laughs) You should really bring that out at a party. The next time the girl goes, you know, I was Cleopatra, you go, oh my God, I was the sand. (laughs) I was, I was there. (laughs) Hashtag overheard in LA. Uh, We digress. So I want to move on to another story or a tidbit that you share in your book that I was just fascinated by so many incredible stories as you said you are truly a brave soul you've milked a lot out of this life so far I'm just excited to see uh, to keep watching the journey but one of the stories was around your experience in a strip club is that right in a Mm -hmm. in a truck stop Mm. which I would love to hear a little bit about and just what was your yeah most surprising takeaways? What did you learn? How did you grow through that mm-hmm. experience? And maybe a little background. You were filming a TV show. Was it for Vice, this show? Yeah, it was for Vice. Yeah. So the concept of the show was called Every Woman and basically myself and another filmmaker creator, Natalia Leite, we had pitched, we had said, well, what if we go into these different areas of like feminine experience that are on the fringe and that are really like taboo and that are often misunderstood or stereotyped. And so we made a list of our favorites. My favorite was being a nun. Like I really wanted to go be a nun. I knew it was going to be a tall order, but I was like, ah, just could see like some amazing art being made in the nunnery. But the the place we had access to, because we were already scouting for a feature film that I ended up producing, she directed, premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. So we had found this um, truck stop strip club and gotten to know the owner, who's like a super cool guy. It doesn't exist anymore, sadly, but he was a cool guy and his partner, Kelly, oh, touches my, like, makes me cry just thinking about them. They were so kind to us. And we were like, look, we want to come shoot a movie here, uh, a feature film, and we'll pay you and da 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 So then when we were conceptualizing this other show, because we were waiting to raise the million dollars for the feature film, we were like, okay, let's pitch a show to Vice. And like, let's pitch that we go to these places. And we had met the head of Vice at like a panel in New York. It's just weird shit like that. Met him at a panel in New York. We're like, hey, we want to direct a film for you. And he's like, oh, cool. You and everyone else in the whole world. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> he gave us his card. And um, I think we emailed him and he said, we said, look, we want to do this show where we go into these different places and we have this one location already, this truck stop strip club. And he said, the only way this would be interesting to watch. He said, do you know how many people p- pitch me things about being a stripper? So the only way this would be interesting to watch is if you guys went and tried it out. And, I, and we said, that's what we're saying. We will try out all, all of these jobs or roles or identities. Like, And he was like, okay. And he called us and, and he we didn't answer. We didn't know what number it was. And then we, we called him back and he said, when I call you, never don't answer again. It's like such a New York moment where it's like, I won't say his name, of course, but like, <laughs> We were in the worlds of all of that at a certain time. It was kind of like Mm -hmm. a very exciting time in my life. Just like, 
mm. you know, being in New York City and like having these these magical moments where it's like we sat next to like my, my entertainment lawyer who's still my lawyer right now and, and in a movie theater and then like you know we, we were meeting people my and the the karma that I had with this friend who's not my friend anymore we like split after we made this incredible work together we had just a crazy crazy karma you know and some mm. people have three husbands like I had one of my you know main relationships was a creative relationship and um <laughs> and um and a divorce that was it, like equally as painful I think maybe as having other divorces but anyway back to the the, the show I just want to give some of the context so we were envisioning that this was going to be a series with Vice and then this was going to be, we would do like a trial first episode. And since we knew the people at this club, we knew the women, we knew the owners. It was like a really amazing in since all the locations or identities that we were, we're wanting to get in with are hard to get in with. You have to establish a real deep, long relationship. You just can't walk up to a convent and go, Hey, we want to film a show in here you know, mm. which I learned later um, <laughs> when I got denied from like 10 convents. I mean, I went around to the convents and like New Jersey and New York and I was like, and, you know, they were all no's. They were like, no, 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 no. But, um, we shot at this, at this truck stop sh- strip club and we got to know the women there and we, we came like really with love and respect in our hearts for what they're doing. We were like, look, we want to interview you. We want to share your stories as women who are living here, working here. We want to hear that, like whatever you want to share, you know, we weren't coming in to exploit. We weren't coming in. We were coming in as female documentary filmmakers, like, and we wanted it to be like sister to sister. Let's hear your story. So we went to their houses, like we had two or three women that were our main characters. And then, you know, there was also our storyline of us being there and we were living in this motel behind the strip club, which was like kind of insane. And um, (laughs) we didn't have a crew or anything. We did it ourselves. So we had two cameras and sound equipment. We did it all ourselves. And, And my favorite part was, I think, listening to the stories of the truckers. So like, the, the things that they'd gone through, you know, a lot of veterans, a lot of like people that had lost family or wives or kids and like the stories. I mean, we definitely heard a lot of tragic stories. You know, the guys were like 98% were really kind to us. I mean, we definitely had a few scary situations that happened there and like there was fear in the air in general for us, but the truckers were really nice you know, and they, I mean, not, that's kind of a generalization, but the ones we met were really nice. And obviously they were willing to be interviewed on camera, you know? Yeah. Wow. What a powerful experience. I really hear you sharing about your brave soul, the bravery to go up to these people who are, you know, big deals in the movie making industry and put yourself forward and to be able to go out on this adventure into these places, as you say, that might be considered on the fringe or taboo. And for our listeners who are desiring to cultivate more courage like Mm -hmm. that, what would be your advice? Mm. Well, I think that, that definitely, the energy we have at different moments of our lives is like following the waves of energy. Like if there's an impulse in your being to create or to expand following that, because at that, there've been really particular times where like something is alive in me that I'm like, I have to write the book proposal. I have to do that thing. 
And so following that, because then it may go, for me, it does, it dissipates. And then I might go into a wave of energy where I'm like more quiet or more, you know, I'm not brave all the time, you know? (laughs) So just listening, if you feel like that energy is present for you at a certain time where you're like, oh my God, I have the gusto to start this project, you know, or to do something new, just listening and seeing if you can get some allies on board with you. For me, mm-hmm. it's really important to have collaboration. I, I I really appreciate being having a team with me doing stuff. I don't want to do stuff about myself so much. I would rather like have someone I'm in cahoots with who's mm-hmm. like, because there will be days where you're like, oh, fuck, this is too hard. So even when I'm writing my book, I hired one of my best friends to edit it, who just happens to be, you know, another author. And mm. I needed her. I needed, I needed like female friendship and support along the process, along the the of writing the book. So I'm, you know, the, that that's what I would say is listen to the waves of energy, and when you have the the gusto, go with it, and also get an ally on your side, whether it's a coach, a friend, a collaborator, someone who you can who can keep you accountable and encourage you. Um, because if you're taking a risk, it's super easy to just go, mm, not now. I'll do it maybe later. Totally. Yeah. I don't know whose quote it is, but it just reminds me of that quote, someone to sing the song of your heart back to you when you forget. It's so important. That's so beautiful. Having that mirror. Speaking of heart song, uh, are you in love? Are you dating? Great question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. I've I've been like in a relationship for almost a year now and we've been taking it really slow, which is not really traditionally like me at all (laughs) in my since I was really young I've always been like a lover and a flirt and some of that had shadow patterns in it like for reals which I cleaned out in many many a puke you know like seduction like Jezebel-y kind of energies which is not bad also some of that is being young you know and like just like being like fuck yeah (laughs) I love that fuck yeah (laughs) I'm gonna flirt with whoever I want bitch (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, but I've, I've been so lucky, like that I've had some epic love stories this life, like where just the stars aligned. And like, I, I met a love when I moved to Portland, I knew I was moving there just to meet this love. And he and I spent two years together making art, singing, creating magical spaces. And it was something I'll never forget. We wrote we wrote three hundred sixty something love letters back and forth to each other, which I had I typed up and had bound into a into a leather book with golden edges and gave it to him on our anniversary. And I was twenty two or three at the time, and the poetry we wrote. I would like try to publish it now if I didn't have to get his permission. I'd be like, sweet, I'm gonna just publish this. <laughs> Maybe I will when I'm older. Yeah. So I've had some really beautiful, beautiful loves this life. And in the last six years, I've been primarily single, which is like very, very strange era of my life. Since I see myself as someone who is like a really good at relating, you know, I love to wake up and cook something for someone or bring them tea. And like, you know, yesterday I'm like thinking of one of my best friends who's like taking care of her mom right now. And I'm like ordering her stuff online because I'm like, oh, she's probably wants this. And I love to love, like I love to love. And, um, you know, there's been shadow in that at times too. And I've definitely done a lot of cleanup around that, but I'm in like the most like chill kind of calm 
peaceful, really not peaceful, actually take that away. chill kind of like slow, I will say relationship that I've ever been in. And it's strange. Cause I'm like, is this what it's like to not have like uh, lust or addiction or infatuation or like sort of some of the sort of like passionate tendencies of that that can be toxic at times and and also feeling the caution that comes with with meeting someone a little bit later after your heart's been broken a few times and feeling that in the space between my partner and I of like we're both still not sure if we want to be together and I've honestly have never been like that I've been like okay, like I know a few months in, let's give this a fucking try. Let's mm. let's like really give it a really a deep full go. But again, sometimes that's based on these like chemistry and just like sex and partying. And so it's, it's, it's really, it's fighting against a lot of the current of what I've normally swam in around like passionate connection and sort of, you know, coupling up quickly you know, I'm like, I can't believe I've been with someone for almost a year. And like, they're, we're, we're both like kind of like, okay, it's nice to keep getting to know you. I'm like, this is so weird. And there's a part of my ego that's like, fuck you. If you don't like me. And if you don't know that you want to be with me, then what are we doing? And then yet we just like keep wanting to spend time together. So, I mean, mm. it's very strange and we'll see how things, you know, continue but the beauty also that's fostered and the love that's fostered in taking things slow feels very different so yeah yeah it sounds like uh, a really beautiful illustration of the difference between uh, a wound mate or a soul mate and of course us even our you know even our soul connections and so and deep intimate beautiful partnership there's always 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 more work to be done so falling in love with the process is a good idea but that just that big distinction I'm hearing you talk about the difference between just kind of finding someone who activates you and that intensity and then like projecting all of our desires onto them. And then when the, then eventually the honeymoon's over and instead of projecting our desires, we start projecting all of our wounds onto them. Uh, And instead, just what I'm hearing you say is just this slow, the the authenticity of actually getting to know who is here in front of me Mm -hmm. and being really open and honest with yourself and brave and saying, I'm not sure. And I think that living in the I don't knowness or being honest and in deep relationship with the I'm not sureness is so brave. Again, that seems to be the the theme yeah. of this podcast. <laughs> for the for the for the picture on the podcast, put a picture of that brave girl instead of me. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but people are always like, you're here. And I just watched it. So it's quite looking bravey. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love it. It's- yeah. But what you said is, is that's, you know, it's, it's true. It's like, and, and also like, there's definitely many still wound projections that happen as we learn and kind of grow and get to know each other. And it's humbling, so humbling to me to go, well, I've been you know, working on my self-awareness and meditating and healing for 20 years. And I'm still here as me. And sometimes I'm quite broken and messy and that's okay. And it's so humbling to not pretend, to not lie to oneself and go, no, I'm healed. I'm fine. I'm good. And, you know, everybody's level of 
trauma experience is so different and it's also relative and it's just, we can never know what it's like to be in another body, but man, it's, it's like the, the, the cards that we've been dealt, they continue to play out for us in many different ways. And I think it's not trying to get rid of them or fix them. These, you know, sacred core wounds we have, but just the relationship to them, you know, Mm. just continues to shift. Mm, that's such a beautiful distinction our relationship to them begins to shift makes me think of that song this is the game that never ends it just goes on and on (laughs) so it's like really just learn to love it it. (laughs) evolution it's here for us yeah uh speaking kind of of love slight transition all, all love making love same same but your book obviously the title fuck like a goddess When was the first time that you experienced God, goddess or divine through sex in a visceral way? Do you remember Mm. that experience? Was it a single experience or? Yeah. So I often think of, and with the title of the book, more of like a metaphorical or a um, sort of existential or holistic sex (laughs) that happens on the merging of spiritually and emotionally and sort of where our edges of existence of the I kind of blend into the all and like that mm-hmm. that kind of sex which I talk about at the beginning of the book I'm like fucking like a goddess is just letting life make love to you and making love to it back you know instead mm-hmm. of fighting it and going no I don't want that experience and like no that one hurts and I don't want to do that and like no that's too messy or I don't want to feel those feelings or I don't want to deal with that you know it's like but actually going, yeah, life, you're going to make love to me through this loss, through the grief. Sure, let's do it. I'm going to I'm gonna make love right back to you, with you. I'm not going to fight what is, right? Mm. And I don't mean that in terms of like, don't fight for what you believe in or stand up. That's not what I mean. I think we can all understand what it's like to have experiences or circumstances around us that we can't control or change and that there are some things that we can keep fighting and keep trying to change or some things that when we surrender more deeply into, they actually change or we change or the circumstances change. And to me, that's the type of sort of more spiritual sex that I'm talking about in the title, which then I actually talk about as literal Mm -hmm. physical sex as well, which encompasses Mm -hmm. spiritual sex too. But first and foremost, the title is like that. It's like fucking like a goddess. It's like being being in the, the, the power of just allowing experiences of life, like whether someone turns a mirror to you and shows you your greatest weaknesses and wounds that instead of going, that's not me, I'm, I'm not like that, going, oh, and being able to breathe them in. And like, that's like making love in that moment to the experience of life instead of going closing to it. Right. So mm. You know, that's the, ty- the the some of the main message of my book is just about that, which is not new. It's like this. It's like a spiritual overarching kind of notion of like opening or closing your heart or your body or your mind. But in terms of like the the the, the blending between the physical body and a spiritual experience, I definitely felt that from young age. But I didn't. I don't know if I would have put words on it, and I didn't have the context of like, oh, this is this or that. I was actually telling like my partner the other day, I was like telling him about a story I had or or a moment I had um, where I was at a Baptist youth camp and 
this is about the same time I had my first sexual experiences. I think it was about 13. And, and I don't mean intercourse, but I like went to the Baptist youth camp. And on Friday night, like at the youth camp, you could go up to the front of the room and it was a dark room, but there was a preacher at the front and he would say, whoever wants to get saved by Jesus come at the front. And I would go to the front, even though I had like a little wink in my eye, like about the whole experience, but I would lay on the floor and cry with all these teenage girls and speak in tongues. And it was just like this complete experience where in this place I got to let go and just be in this strange opening to the mystery. Mm. And, uh, my mom was like, Oh my God, why are you going to these things? I don't like, she was not into that for me, <laughs> but I was like, I need to just experience what this is like. And I kind of was like an insider at that point. Like that wasn't, I didn't, was never going to be a Baptist. Even 12 year old me was like, I'm not going to, I'm not here to be a Baptist. I'm here to touch the great mystery. I'm here to like, <laughs> you know, get loved by God. And, <laughs> and so I explored that in sexually around that same time too. And my first sexual experience was with two girls around the same time. And I remember how, how magical it felt. It felt like magic. And then I got shamed for it. I got in big trouble at school. And so, because one of the girls told her older sister, yeah, you know, it was not okay to be bisexual or queer Marietta, Georgia back in the nineties. Mm. So, but I continued to have really potent uh, sexual experiences. Even my first love, who I had intercourse with the first time when I was 17, he was so deep and so beautiful, a human. And, you know, we created such a magical container for the first time we made love. And <laughs> yeah, like, and I've had awful experiences too. I'm not trying to make it seem all like sugar and, you know, mm. you know, God's the chimes of the angels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Why do you think that we've been taught to keep sex and God so separate? How much time do you have? <sighs> well, I mean, it's like, it's, it's really complex when we talk about women's bodies and, and the female in religion and creation and the fact that you know, female bodies can hold and create life and how they've been so deeply mutilated and vilified and excommunicated and, you know, burned. And it's pretty bananas in conjunction to what's happened to, let's say, you know, people of any non-dominant group or, or whatever you would say, identity. So, but sex is, is the, is the portal, it can be a portal to, to creation and God. And so, you know, the church wanted to be the one portal, the one dial up line, you know, you know, it's like, you only got one place to contact God and that's in the church and you got to give a little money and you got to do this and that. And so women's bodies are not allowed to be a dial up connect to God. And like, so hide them, put them under clothes, put them under wraps, like, you know, just all the things. I personally think it comes mm. down to really that direct, direct connect to being creators and whomever wrote the books and whoever made the rules definitely had some mommy issues and had some uh, jealousy issues. So, you know, like the collective force field that was, <laughs> you know, they have too much power. So let's just kill them. You know, it's really insane when you think about it, like that, that's just repeated oh throughout history in so many different arenas. Like 
oh, they're more powerful or so let's just kill them or they are threatening to us because of their skin color. So let's just kill them or the capacity, they have the capacity for life and giving life or for healing. Let's just kill them. It's just like, what? It's pretty, pretty. Mm. It blows my mind to the extent that I could sit and contemplate the nature of suffering and human behavior until it would make me mad, you know, and mad, like madness, like crazy. <laughs> or I can just go, wow, there's some things that I don't understand about this world. Yeah. And the way that humans behave. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so wild. But I think it's such a beautiful way of saying it, the dial up connection to God. And I know, at least personally, I definitely find when I am in deep, connected, present pleasure with myself or my partner, I remember who I am. You know, Patrick always jokes after earth shattering orgasms or lovemaking, I'll often be like, have these wild insights or downloads. And he just laughs. He's like, you really just get your best ideas and, and like, remember who you are during lovemaking. And I'm like, it really is. It really mm-hmm. is that portal to remembering mm-hmm. uh, the beauty, the magnificence, or at least it can be. And mm-hmm. as you said, and I'll also share it, you know, it's a journey and, and there are also all the terrible and painful and heart-wrenching experiences that go along with it. But I guess that's the beautiful mess of this whole ride we signed up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel I could just muse with you forever, yeah. but we are at time. So if you feel ready, we're going to move into some rapid fire. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my love. So someone comes to you and they're feeling really down, but you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? Do I have to say something? Can I just dance and tickle them? Beautiful. I love that answer. You absolutely can just dance and tickle them. <laughs> That's what I want someone to do to me when I'm down. Honestly, I'm like, don't talk to me. Just hug me, tickle me, love me, dance with me. <laughs> the head. Yes. No, don't come in here. <laughs> What's the most important thing, in your opinion, for successful relationships? Let's see. Bravery. Hmm. I love courage. that answer. Bravery and courage, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? I would say a dolphin. In today's world, the oceans are a little bit like in a really sad place. So uh, I'll be like a dolphin in a really loving ocean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they seem to have a lot of fun, dolphins. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? I think to just be unconditional love all the time. Maybe my heart never mm. closes. Yes. Uh, if you could only take one spiritual practice, one tool with you to a deserted island, what would it be? Dancing. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite thing that you own? My books. Mm, same girl, same. <laughs> I can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, after the fire, that was the first thing. I'm like, how do I already have 35 books? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What is something you believe is true that other people think is crazy? I feel like most things I say would be normal nowadays. If I'm like, oh, I believe that trees have spirits or rocks have spirits or, you know, like, yeah. Those are guides. People are like, yeah, I know. Duh. It's like <laughs> 1997, new age movement. Um, so I really don't know. Like, what do I believe that it's that it's crazy? I think that, that that's a good answer. It's like, I guess that some people might think is on the fringe, as you right, would say. Right, right, right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. What book do you gift people the most? I love poetry books. I think they're good gifts. And I love E.E. E. Cummings poetry. He's got a great erotic poetry book that's also sort of silly and fun. So it has like a joyful kind of side to it. 
If you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be? Oysters. I love oysters. Any champagne with that? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) And last one, if there was a universal answering machine that you could leave a 15-second note on that everyone in the world would hear today, a few words or sentences, what would you say? I love you. I love you. You're doing really good, honey. I love you. You're doing great, honey. I love you. Thank you so much, sweet soul sister. What an honor it's been. Where can our listeners find you? Um, You can find my website, alexandraroxo.com. I mentor and coach women one-on-one, a few women at a time. And I also um, have an online community. We open up like once or twice a year for membership. So I don't have to be in a constant sales mode because I'm an awful salesperson. And I'm happy to proclaim that I'm an artist. But um, no, I'm also a salesperson. Um, And I have a book that you can buy and it's on sale. And it's called Fuck Like a Goddess. And you can buy that on Amazon. And if you love it, I would um, appreciate a review. That'd be amazing. And I'm also on Instagram and you can follow me there. And I just launched a podcast this week called yes no way yeah i just wait one more time what's it called holy fuck with alexandra rosso holy fuck honey (laughs) get on over and leave a review on that podcast as well because it's a brand new little baby it's like just putting its little toes in out in the world so yeah that um we launched the first episode this week and um i've been wanting to do that for a while and it's really about the mix between the sacred and the profane and sort of the rebel soul and the brave and rebel soul so um yeah yeah so congrats baby girl thank you Yeah, well, I'm seeing it soaring with success as your brave soul continues to unfurl and its wonderful adventures and we're all going to stay tuned for sure. Mm. Thank you for your time today and I'll see you real soon. Bye, everybody. That's it for today, beautiful beings. And don't forget, enrollments for Awakened Pleasure are now officially open. So if you're feeling called to join this wild awakening program, Awakened Pleasure is a 12-week sacred sexuality program. So we're going to be utilizing ancient tantric science-backed practices to heal trauma, rewild your sensuality, activate deep body love, and to unleash your most authentic embodied power on the world. You're going to experience six of my signature hypnotic awakenings, deep state meditations to reprogram your subconscious. Plus, you'll also experience six of my signature wild awakenings, profoundly transformative at-home pleasure practices to activate your wildest spiritual orgasmic potential. Plus, you're going to get in-depth lectures on all three modules, 30 plus journal prompts and an alumni of badass sexual revolutionary queens all devoted to their sensual awakening and supporting you in yours. We really have such a gorgeous cohort of beings and truly epic community in this Awakened Pleasure program. So if you're feeling the call to deepen your understanding of your body, to unlearn body shame, rewild your sensuality, and just get back in touch with your primal nature, to activate your orgasm and really learn how to use your pleasure as a tool for deep, mystical states, spiritual beauty, and wild awakening, then maybe I have got you covered come on over to www.awakenedwoman.com. That's A-W-A-K-E-N-E-D-W-O-M-X-N.com forward slash 
A-P. And if you use the code podcast at the checkout, you're going to receive $100 off the program, which is a bit of a ridiculous discount. But that is how much I want this life changing program to be accessible to as many of you as possible. So www.awakenedwoman.com. That's woman spelt W-O-M-X-N dot com forward slash AP. And don't forget to use that discount code podcast for $100 off at the checkout. And I cannot wait to see those of you ready to party there.